Boston. You're in the village with Willie P. We are WBCA LP 102.9 FM, Boston Community Radio. And try me. Hey, Boston, I want you to try me. That is TK Soul. We are here in the village. I have some special guests, and we're going to talk about a little bit of black history. You know, they always want to narrow us down to that one-month thing. It only has 28 days in it, but we ain't having it. We just ain't having it. I'm going to give you tips today. I have people that's going to enlighten you and educate you because black people did some wonderful things. We had it going on. So we're going to talk about that today. I have Kevin Smith at my uh, mic. I have Reggie Pittman on the other mic. And we're going to talk about educating you on some black history. Hey, how? Hello, folks. Hi, guys. How are you? All right, all right, all right. So, let's. Um, I got Kevin in the studio. Say hi to the audience, Kevin. All right, what's up? All How's right, everybody doing? <laughs> and I got Reggie on the next mic. Hello, Willie. How you doing? <laughs> Hopefully, everyone is well. All right. Let's start the conversation. Let's let's talk about. We want to. Jump right into you. We were talking earlier about Wall Street. Tell me, what do you need us to know? Okay. Well, we've all heard of Black Wall Street, particularly in the last, what, I don't know, four or five years. It's gotten a little bit more notoriety. There's been TV series or TV show, more discussions, more webinars, more seminars, just more discussion, more articles written about Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Tulsa Massacre. Well, we're going to go at it slightly different today uh, and talk about the other uh, Black Wall Streets, okay? And what became of the other Black Wall Streets, okay? And I'll just give you a few names. Some of you I know have been to these places or you heard of them or you lived in those towns. So Black Bottom in Detroit, Bronzeville in Chicago, uh, Jackson Ward in Richmond, Virginia, Haiti, named after the country, Haiti, in Durham, North Carolina, 4th Avenue District in Birmingham, Alabama, 4th, Forest Street in Jackson, Mississippi, West 9th Street in Little Rock, Arkansas, Five Points in Augusta, Georgia, 15th Ward in Syracuse, Lower Hill District in Pittsburgh, Sweet Auburn in Atlanta, and a range of other cities. I know you mentioned about Houston Ridge. Uh, you live there. Uh, so 
all these places, Washington, D.C., parts of New York City, had what we may call Black Wall Street. Now, Black Wall Street is perhaps a misnomer. Um, These were not like the Wall Street in New York City with these humongous corporations and massive, massive wealth. But relative to where we had been, most of us had been enslaved. And coming out of slavery within 20, 30, 40 years, going against almost nothing, making a way out of no way. Okay? <laughs> I've heard I, that happen. I, okay. I've heard that said. Okay. And, and most people don't know what that means. <laughs> okay? Because you didn't have much to start with. <laughs> right. And yet you are going beyond eking out an existence. I mean, there's, there's a brother who wrote this book a few, uh, a few years ago called Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. Uh, a brother by the name of Shamari Willis. Look him up. Okay, buy the book also. <laughs> okay. Educate yourself. Okay. And the thing is, you have these places, these people becoming legitimate millionaire. I'll give you a few of the names. Some of you probably heard of him. O.W. Gurley, because he was there in Greenwood in Tulsa. Okay? James Fortin, Philadelphia, a shipmaker. Okay? And an abolitionist, staunch abolitionist in the period before, he dies before the Civil War, but he's a strong, strong advocate of abolition. He helps underwrite some of the additions for William Lloyd Garrison, Mary Ellen Pleasant, Robert Reed Church, a banker. Okay, so we have some black bankers because we have some black banks, more then than we have now. Okay, Hannah Elias and Ann Tumbo Malone. Sort of in the same vein of C.J. Walker. And most people have heard of C.J. Walker, Walker, who actually becomes a millionaire. And so this woman, Ann Tumbo Malone, she blows up to become a millionaire. And what is she doing? She's in the beauty and care and cosmetology, that whole business, that whole realm of stuff. So let's just go back to these other communities and these other Black Wall Streets. Okay, I hope everybody's okay with me using that terminology. And what is in those particular uh, business districts? Mostly black entrepreneurs. You know, there's been this shift now. We've not been telling young black people about becoming an entrepreneur. And perhaps we need to have a refocus on that today. But they were doing it then. Somehow or another, putting their money together. And because of Jim Crow and segregation, you know, they've got the black community coming to support them. So you've got the black restaurants. You've got the black banks. You've got the black theaters. uh, You've got black insurance companies, okay? It would be difficult for you to get life insurance back in the day if you were black. Or if you got it, you got it for a higher premium Premium. because you were black. Okay, 
and a lower payout. Higher premium, lower payout. payout. I don't know. That makes sense to you? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, bro. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Okay. It doesn't make sense. So just plain straight up nonsense, okay? But yet you have some that will thrive during this area in a number of these different communities and in a number of these states. There was something called a burial uh, association. Okay, there may still exist. I know 50 years ago when I was a kid and I'm visiting to Georgia with my grandfather, you know, I can remember his stepmother. You know, so she was somebody at that time, 50 years ago, she was born in the 1800s, and she talked about this burial exists, a burial association, which that was new to me. I never heard of it before. And it was a way of putting everybody, putting some money into the pot, and that sort of worked like an insurance. And then when the person died, it would pay out some proceeds to help cover the cost of the funeral. Very association. So mm. very creative. Is that, is that where the word burial come from? <laughs> what, I, I, what Was it part of that? <laughs> yeah, you know, but they were being innovative. Yes. Okay, you're shutting the door over here. We cannot participate over here. Yes. And this is that's open to everyone else to participate. Well, you know what? We'll do our own thing. What's that that mother of invention that that need is the mother of invention and, and we and, and I I wholeheartedly see how that came into fruition because we needed it we needed each other yeah and and being put away <laughs> and buried was something that we put a lot of focus on we right. wanted to be put away. Right. Well, we don't want to be just putting some little old box, those scrappy clothes and everything like that. You're going to make it look presentable. And how do you get to putting someone away in a presentable fashion? This burial association accumulation of funds was a route to do that. Now, not everybody had that. Okay, so we want to be real. Not everybody could participate. Um, the, the, the money that you're putting in was probably just nickels. You know, putting in a nickel maybe every month, okay, and it would accumulate because you're all paying into it, okay, which is how sort of the basic, the foundation of how insurance is done yeah. anyway. And uh, they must have had other businesses there. So you got the funeral home. So that's a standard. You're yeah. probably not going to go any place <laughs> in the United States, north or south, in the northeast, midwest or out west, where there is not a black-owned a funeral home. Right. Okay. And multiple funeral homes in some of the larger cities. Okay. You knew you were going to get a part of that business. You're going to be advertising in the black churches, advertising in the fraternities, the sororities, uh, the self-help type groups. Okay. Oh, we got to say that. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Self-help. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> okay, just Well, one thing about the funeral home business, it was never going to go out of business. Well, and you got that right. <laughs> that was right. A guaranteed. Yeah. And so we still have, in every city practically, a black-owned, oh. major city, black-owned funeral home. Yes. Yeah. They will thrive. And when you mentioned the story about putting the money together, it reminds me of a couple of Kwanzaa principles. Uh, Ujama, which is cooperative economics, of course, and Ujima, which is collective works. Mm -hmm. So some of those Kwanzaa principles we were practicing years ago before Absolutely. we were we celebrating. Had to. We Absolutely. Had to. For, we had for to. survival. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we and I, I want to say this, so I don't want people to think that all of these terms for Kwanzaa, while they became better known in the last 50 years, 
there were people who knew about these going back 150 years ago and 200 years ago, a smaller percentage of people. But people were knowledge and interested in this pan-Africanism and this diasporic approach to how we handle things and taking from and the practices of our ancestors. Uh, there were things that came over while we were separated here and there as we came on those boats after we got here being separated. People carried some of those traditions. They may not have remembered all the correct words or the correct language, you know, some of them coming over here when they were very young. But some of those stories that they had heard and some of what they had seen, they brought with them. Yeah. And then tried to put in place against all odds. Yes. All kinds of barriers that are pushing back at them as they're trying to build this up. So this self-help, and I want to stress that about the self-help, okay? Because you come out of slavery, even before, while you're in slavery. Yeah, we couldn't rely on the government. Oh, absolutely. That, that's not going. And we still can't. Okay. We still, oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> okay. We still can't. Okay. Nor should we. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, and, and so these different approaches to how we do things, self-help, these fraternities and these sororities, these, you know, the uh, Prince Hall Masons. Yeah, Prince Hall Masons, it started right here. Okay, Prince Hall lived right here but you know, in Boston. Yeah, but even in, with these Wall Streets now, there were, did they keep it private? Because sometimes Masons, you, you know, if you're in that kind of clique, they mm-hmm. give signs and you get benefits because you're part of it. Now, in the Wall Streets that were happening, everyone was included into having part or played a part into it and felt like they were part of that community. You had access. So we're talking about access. So access. you would have access, access to go to, to the restaurant, access yes. to go to a theater, access to go to a a church. Churches were located in many instances right. close to these places. You had access where in other places, because of Jim Crow and segregation, you, you did, did not, not have access. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, well, we don't have access over there. Okay, well, we'll do our own thing over Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Okay. And make it work. And some people became incredibly successful. So you will have class division. So clearly most black people still during that time in the late 1800s and the the, early 1900s uh, are still poor. Most people in the country are still poor. But they had access. But they had access to getting in on some of that and having these kinds of services uh, that they knew the rest of the uh, country uh, was experiencing because keep in mind, um, one of the things is, uh, and I just find this interesting, you know, within the five years of coming out of slavery, the majority of black women are working. Okay. It's not till a hundred years later in the 1970s, 1980s, do we reach 50% of white women working this whole thing about in the seventies and the eighties about, Women coming into the workforce. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Black people already White in the workplace. <laughs> we, we was in the and, workplace. And, you know, surprisingly, the laws better benefit them far more than they benefit a lot of the blacks doing a women rights movement. Yes, you are right, because when we start talking about equal opportunity and equal pay, clearly the focus was on white women. 
But okay. do you think which you're getting pushback on? We right. need to mention that now right. with all these crazy laws right. that some of these extremists you, are coming you, up with. Do you really um, feel that the Wall 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 Streets doing that time would have been more successful had they not did segregation? Uh, well, that's the well. That's the point. That's a good point because as soon as we were able to shop elsewhere, spend our money elsewhere, uh, it uh, brought down the black community. So that that's a good point. I understand. If we were only limited to our community, who knows what would happen? That that's tough to say, Willie. Yeah. But I see where we you were asking and why you were asking that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because you had they they did have the demise. It, yeah. it started to decline mm-hmm. when we were kind of in control of our own sort of destiny. So talk about talk about that during that time. Like, well, what I want to also say, who were included in these neighborhoods or these districts would have been lawyers. There were people who were graduating were lawyers, from law, well, black lawyers and yes. black dentists, hundred fifty, hundred over a hundred years ago. Um, all kinds of specialists. Uh, who would be ha- have been located there? Now, we're here asking you. Ask the question: Would they have been viable, financially, economically viable, if the segregation had not ex- existed? And uh, that's a big question. That's a really but, good question. <laughs> you have to have a crystal ball to answer that yeah, correctly. But, but, but looking back on the demise, what did you see as being the cause? the culprit doing that because because we are saying uh, we know Jim Crow and the Ku Klux Klan and all of that had a lot to do with kind of uh, scare tactics and but the Wall Street where they were in and I know I'm thinking to myself like the burning of the cities and doing all of that so yes we did have those centers yes they did exist yes they were vibrant yes Black people had an opportunity to to better themselves. What happened? Well, um, <laughs> sadly, so not all of the demise of all of these wall other Wall Streets can be attributed to uh, a frontal attack and massacre. Okay. Okay. Because we were talking about that, that. existed. Yeah. Don't let's not get that wrong. That existed, that existed. in a mult in a number of places other than just Tulsa. Right. But for the most part, the demise came through, I'm going to use the term structural racism. Okay. So what do I mean by that? So you came up with policies that were put into place, uh, put into place because in many of these cities, we did not have anybody on the city councils in the, you know, late 1800s and the first half of the uh, 1900s, nobody in the local city councils or the planning boards or the planning board, the review boards and, you know, all these other kinds of things. So our political clout was nominal, very minimal at the time. And so the kinds of policies that would be put into place, which unfortunately in many instances we actually went along with because we believed that, well, yeah, uh, something like urban renewal <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and the, uh, they fooled ni- us 19, like they always do. There you go, nineteen forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. Okay, these housing, federal housing policies, federal highway policies that we believed that we would 
benefit from equitably. Okay. We believe that, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. When they got many of our so-called leaders at the time, many of them would be ministers. Okay. Some would be civil rights type people also, but the buy-in, you get them, the community will follow. So sometimes we voted for this stuff. Okay, Leah, let's do this. Okay, because now I'm going to have a better paying job, mm. a better opportunity. Oh, you're going to have some new housing. We're going to get rid of that house or oh, some new housing that will ring this community. Okay. Oh, well, okay, we'll be displaced. But Nobody we'll be displaced. <laughs> but 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 someday we'll be displaced, but we'll get a better, better place. Yeah. Okay. And if you look at the Fifth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment uh, also talks about eminent domain, and through eminent domain, the government has the right to take your property and give you just compensation. And we never know what that means. Okay. Oh, and, <laughs> and sadly. Yes. The monies that we got yes. wasn't just compensation because they're not going to put the same appraised value on our properties and our businesses that they would for others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're getting 10 cents to the dollar, 20 cents to the yeah, dollar. It's supposed to be fair market value, there, but, there but there, it's in their hands to say what's fair. What's it's, fair? Like, it's like playing a game where the <laughs> other team makes up all the rules. And that was what's happening over and, and over, over yeah. and over again. And I'm glad you mentioned eminent domain. <laughs> okay. Um, I lived in Texas for about 20 years, and there was an area in Houston called Freedmanstown. I was uh, introduced to that area when I went down. A lot, All my neighbors knew about mm-hmm. this area of Freedmanstown, so we visited, and I got a little history on Freedmanstown. It's an area back in the 1860s, 70s, and early 1900s, where African-Americans started to develop their own little Black Wall Street in mm-hmm. Houston area. Mm-hmm. It was a part of Houston's called the Fourth Ward, mm-hmm. where there were restaurants, churches, mm-hmm. banks, mm-hmm. supermarkets, mm-hmm. schools, mm-hmm. and it started to expand. And the government was trying to figure out what can they do. So mm-hmm. the, that's when they exercised the power of eminent domain. Mm. where they started to slice up a piece of Fourth Ward and supposedly pay the owners of the property fair market value, eminent domain. Mm. But it made way for highways, uh, other areas that uh, we had very, or the African-Americans at the time had very little access to. So that's where eminent domain played a huge part in Freedman's You start putting in higher price apartments, you know, we'll where they couldn't even afford. Yeah, there you go. They couldn't okay. even afford. Okay. Yeah. So that's one instance where eminent domain really uh, uh, took away a lot of property from Houston yeah. owners uh, back in the uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh, the n- early 1800s was eminent domain I mean, came into existence. Yeah. But they really exercised it in the late um after 1899 early into just before the um uh the, the massacres in in um in uh in Tulsa just Tulsa. about that same time wow yeah. that's yeah. terrible mm-hmm. okay so we we'll are look- hold hold that thought okay. <laughs> we we are we are WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston Community Radio 
The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org. We are back. Um, I am talking to Kevin Smith and Reggie Pittman, and they're giving us some insight into the Black Wall Streets that have been in existence back when and what was their demise. We have a few more minutes. We have about three or four minutes, and I want to kind of wrap it up, but we'll be back, and we're going to continue this conversation because I think it's important. I don't believe that kids really know the history because if you start to look at the history, you try not to have it repeat. And I say, we need to do this more often. And thank you guys for coming. So give me like one or two comments. We're going to wrap it up and we're going to come back next time. We'll have you back on the show. So what's one of your takeaway today? Give me one more minute you have left. So I'll give a quick one and then I'll turn it over to Kevin. Uh, throughout school, I heard about certain incidents in history, very little about uh, Black Wall Streets. Uh, for example, in 1906, we heard about the San Francisco earthquake. In that same year, there was a, a Atlanta massacre. In the same year, mm -hmm. I heard about the San Francisco earthquake, but I didn't hear about the uh, massacre in Atlanta. So that's just an example how the history books excluded certain events in the same era. <laughs> So we're going to talk about that in our next segment. Yes. I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. Well, I'm going to say I never heard about any of the massacres, and I had a black history class in high school. None of the none of the massacres that I ever hear about. But how does this tie in with the personal finance and the financial literacy? Is that because you're comp not giving just compensation, you're giving people a minimum of what they should get, okay, and that's going to then impact what we call wealth. Well, and I don't mean getting rich when we use the term wealth. Well, you know, people I, think, I think of wealth. I think that needs to be redefined. So we're going to have to come back <laughs> and talk about wealth mean because wealth means a lot of things to a lot of people. And I think kids think it means being rich. And it don't necessarily mean that. It means having things. But we'll talk about that next time. So... Thank you for being in the village. This is Willie P. And I want to say thank you. And uh, we'll be back next time in the village. WBCALP 102.9 FM Community Radio. And you're listening to Wally Ali's Sunday Morning.